0: Welcome to Youth Court Unsealed, a look behind the gavel. I'm Judge Stacey O'Neill and I'm Judge Stacey Bevel. Today we're going to talk about disposition hearings. So that everybody's on the same page, how, how would you describe what a disposition hearing is in a delinquency case?
1: In my court hearings, uh, they laugh at me because I, I phrase it that the adjudication part of the hearing is about whether you did it or not. And the disposition hearing is about what we're going to do about it now. Um, you know, that that's kind of how I break it down to the children that uh, this is your to-do list. And if you successfully do this, then, um, and then you and I are good. But if you don't, it's not going to be good.
0: Yeah, I normally tell them uh, this is when I decide what do I need to do to make sure this doesn't happen again or to make sure you don't do this again, or to make sure you stop doing whatever it is that brought you before me. The adjudication hearing is is a separate hearing, but when do you do your disposition hearing? Is it right after or do you wait, what do you do?
1: We do ours right after. Uh, A lot of counties I know have um, first call days which in the lawyer world, uh, I guess, is equivalent almost to a plea day, even though we don't have pleas uh, in youth court, but it's kind of to set it in framework so for the legal world kind of outside of youth court to understand that. We bring them in on the first time. They get to meet with their attorneys. uh, We take their plea or they make their plea. And um, then we, uh, I shouldn't say we don't have pleas in youth court. We don't have plea bargaining in youth court. Right. And so, um, and then we turn right around and do our disposition hearings. I know the rule gives you 14 days to do it, but everybody's there. People don't want to take off work again. And so we, that's how we do it.
0: I would say 99%. We go into a disposition hearing. I I try to make sure that it's clear that this is a separate hearing. I kind of say, you know, you still have your rights that we just told you a minute ago. Um, I make sure, and I think there's a recent case out there that that says we're supposed to make sure that everybody's ready for disposition. So I try to make it a habit to say, you know, to the lawyers, are you ready for disposition and make them on the record say, yes, we're ready for disposition.
1: That's um, a good idea. Every,
0: every now and then there's an a a reason to delay a disposition. You know, one reason might be that we're waiting on a psych eval or or something, can you think of any other reasons why you would want to wait for a disposition?
1: To be very honest, our county is, uh, we are supposed to have three counselors, and we only have two, and so sometimes uh, I have had a counselor say, you know, Judge, I, I just have not been able to meet with them either at all or well enough to feel like I'm giving you a good a good look at what we need to be looking at at disposition. A lot of times they they will leave then after that hearing and go meet and do it. And then we just set it for the next time. But that's very few and far between. But that's that's really the only time I think we ever really continue it.
0: Well, and that brings up a good point. So in youth court, we have these people that we call counselors. When you get to a disposition hearing, the counselor is making recommendations as to what we should do, what we should, what rules we should impose, what terms we should impose. So talk a little bit about what your counselors do. Do they get on the witness stand? Do they talk from the, the, the audience? I mean, what does that look like? Who's talking?
1: Uh, in my courtroom, uh, there are basically for DYS hearings, there's two tables um uh, on, in one table is the prosecutor and the dys counselors, and then the other one is the parent uh, public defender with the parents and the child. Um, when we start our disposition hearings, regularly, the prosecutor will present the disposition information which is the report that DYS made but more times than not uh, I let him do that because he's just reading you know he's just reading it into the record and um, but I then I turn to the DYS counselor and I say okay what do you want to add because there's so many things that just can't translate to paper you know, and I always give them a chance. But I've already put them under oath. They just really testify from where they're sitting because I kind of turn our tables toward each other during the hearing so everybody can kind of see each other, but they don't formally go like on our stand, but it they are sworn in as witnesses before.
0: My counselors in a disposition hearing, and if we want to keep to reminding people that we're talking about the disposition hearing, um, also talk from where they're sitting unless they're really soft-spoken and then i make them get to a microphone so that the record's clear at disposition hearing um, pretty much my prosecutor will offer their report as an exhibit to the hearing and then i'll ask if there's any objections and there rarely are there may be corrections that the attorney wants to point out you know something's incorrect or something needs to be changed or something but uh, one thing that people may not know is as far as rules of evidence and a disposition hearing. So rules of evidence don't really apply in a disposition hearing. Um, and so your typical objections to hearsay with a, with a paper report like that don't really apply in a disposition hearing. Why do you think that is, that the general rules of hearsay don't apply in disposition Have you ever thought about that?
1: I have. Uh, We actually, this is something that has come up yesterday. We actually had this discussion and it was more on the CPS side, abuse and neglect. But I'm thankful. I'm thankful that that is the law because I don't think procedurally, not procedure, logistically is a better word, that there would be a way to gather all of the people together for these hearings that we would have to have to give testimony. Because we use so many different resources for these children. And even at the disposition phase, there are already a team of people normally working with them. And because if you think about it, you might be looking to have to have school people there. You know, um, I don't know if maybe the, um, you know, the youth court in Mississippi originally was way more informal than we are now. And I think sometimes some of those traits may be carried on when we have uh, put more things in uh, statutorily in place. Um, but I think it also gives us the chance to truly explore what's best for that child. This report, like what is your report? What kind of
0: information does it have in it? Because I think people that have never sat where we are sitting, they, they've never seen one. So describe like, what kinds of information Oriented.
1: So my reports cover uh, the charges, uh, just statistical information about the child where the school is, uh, where they go to school, they do attach uh, our school system does work with us. And they uh, because they monitor the children back and forth that um, our probation officers with the schools as far as their grades and their um, absences. So we have that attached. Uh, we also have the history attached. Whatever um, my kids prints out, you know that the like if you put the child's name in, kind of all right. the charges and, they have.
0: And let me interrupt you. My kids, we we use that term. Um, that is the name of our case management software. or case statewide, software. statewide. So when we say my kids, because I refer sometimes to the kids as my kids, but yeah. my kids, it's it's spelled M Y C I D S. Right. And that is our software so yeah the my kids history is every time they've interacted with the youth court system in Mississippi whether it's an abuse case neglect case or a delinquency we can see that with a printout so that mine are attached to that too what a, any other thing you can think
1: of um and then basically the the information that they have gained uh, from their intake with them because just to back up a little bit the charge comes into our office the intake officer which in my area is a county employee takes that information and looks through the charges and then gives it to a counselor to work um, the case and so they meet with the family before court and some of them were already on probation anyway and so there is a paragraph that kind of just sets where they are if they're getting mental health treatment now what going on in their home who are they living with um, uh, information such as that so you get a really good picture on paper um, about what the child looks like you know what's going on with that child
0: yeah and I find it really valuable to read that, and we kind of have to speed read sometimes, Um, and my counselors are really good to put it in a format that's easy on the eyes, where you can kind of jump from category to category, but you know, it's important to me, if I'm dealing with a juvenile who's committing crimes, because that's what delinquency is all about, um, is to, to know, has this juvenile been a victim themselves? Um, Are we dealing with the traumatic past? You know, if if I've got an angry youth in front of me, you know, why are they so angry? Um, Because some of the things, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, is the things that we order, we need information about their mental health, their physical health, their school progress, because what we order in response to what they've done needs to come from a place of information and not everybody's not the same. So let's talk about the things that the the usual, and I'm going to ask you about your creative dispositional alternatives. So save those. So what are some of your usual disposition alternatives? Obviously, everybody doesn't get all of the usual things, but what are just some of the standard things that that you're ordering on a regular basis in
1: disposition. Um. I will tell you that the vast majority of my cases, I do order some type of JDC time, but it is suspended. And I do that.
0: Everybody's on the same page. What is JDC?
1: Uh, Juvenile Detention Center. I have a 25-bed juvenile detention center here in my county. And to be honest, uh, I am super blessed to have that resource because I'm going to say the vast majority of the counties do not have access to your-
0: Are you rubbing it in just a little
1: bit? I am (laughs) rubbing it in because I really, really, um, I I believe in detention, but I also believe least restrictive alternative. You know, I think we need to look at every one of those before we do that. I will tell you that in the area that I am, our issues have become way more Metro. Um, And so we are having extreme gun crimes here and uh, lots of children who are being charged as an original jurisdiction as an adult, and we're not going to get into all that right now. But okay. to get back to my my question, what I was saying is that um, most of the time I do that, and then the attorney says, "Judge, I would ask for you to consider for that to be suspended." And nine times out of ten, I do because I do believe if it's not such a crime as I explained before that. They need a chance to show that they can prove themselves. You know, I want to give them a chance first. Um, And so um, I always say, so what happens next is you're going on probation with the Department of Youth Services. And we kind of just I I don't go into great detail about all of the terms and conditions of probation because I tell them they're going to meet with them. But I am telling you whatever they tell you is on your probation list. um, That is what I expect of you. And because our probation officers sometimes do reports and and they really get in there and whatever that child needs at that time, it may morph a little bit, you know, and I give them that opportunity to breathe a little bit with their probation counselors. I court order them to attend school. Uh, that is um, something that is is very much part of their probation. We go on and talk about is there any mental health services I need to offer. We have some good programs here from the Department of uh, State Department of Mental Health and then also our, um some private people here. Uh, we talk about those kind of things, what they need to be doing, uh, whether they have school uh, mental health and um, but I, then I also tell them that, look, you're not going to see me for three months. Uh, I I see all of my kids on probation every three months. We have a special afternoon that it is it is a, a they call it a post dispositional review. We run them through. And my only question is, hey, you're under oath, you know, is um, OK, how they been doing.
0: Yeah, um, I think that's great. So I kind of made a little list. Let me ask you. So probation is when you use detention, you use, do you, in, in counseling, you mentioned mental health, do you, you have a detention center. So do you ever use ankle monitors?
1: I will tell you, uh, I normally do not use ankle monitors at the beginning but I have basically my county I think is paid for four that stay at the juvenile detention center so a lot of times I will if a child has been in detention for a little while uh, I'll give them a chance to come out on ankle monitor and see how they're doing and especially kids that are runners you know um, flight risk I guess and uh, so I do that Uh, but I norm we do not have because I have a detention center my uh, I normally do not ask my county to pay for ankle monitors um, unless it is a, you know, a flight risk situation for their safety too. We do some of the, we do the same things. So I, I use detention
0: when we need to. It is sort of um, not the last resort, but it is the next to last resort um, as far as disposition. And we we uh, rely on the kindness of other counties to hold our kids and th- that is a problem. And that's a problem we'll talk about another day because it's not just my problem. It's most of the the state. I think there are 12 or 13 juvenile detention centers in the state. And for 82 counties. For 82 counties. Um, and a lot of those detention centers are full at times or they don't have room for girls because there are less beds in the state for girls Um, And each county that has their own detention center has the right and ability to decline taking someone else's kids. And so um, it is a problem to find one sometimes. Uh, Fortunately, that we haven't had any horrible thing happen because of that. I do the same things you're doing. We do have a we have a drug court, juvenile drug court in Madison County that has been around for a long time. And we'll talk about drug court another day. We'll invite some guests on and who have drug courts everywhere. I also have a program that we call Jobs for Youth that is primarily focused on kids that have dropped out of school or been expelled. And I order them to get their GED in our program. And that's been a great program to have the population of kids who drop out of school typically don't go get their GED unless somebody makes them do it. Um, There are some who are motivated, but for the most part, if you quit school, you don't want to go
1: unless you can just pass the GED without any help. We're really lucky here. Um, I've always been envious of that and of what y'all have have done there. Um, We have uh, a really, really good community college here who has basically that program, but most of the time it's not open until you're 17. Right. Um, and I have a huge 16-year-old population of uh, children that are dropping out of school.
0: Well, uh, let me tell you this.
1: You, as the
0: judge, can order them to... Oh,
1: that's let, what I was going to tell you. To they have started. You. Yeah, they have started accepting us. We had meetings. And, you know, if you're hearing this podcast, what's, that's one thing that... As a judge or as someone who works in a youth court, your county, most of the time, people in your community want to partner with you. And, you know, we had never had really 17, 16-year-olds go to the GED program. And I basically said, "I, I need them to go. And, you know, we just had that conversation. We started doing court orders and they just ask that they be on some type of probation most of the time so they can I can help them monitor them because it's an adult program they're not there for kids to you know the adults that are there want their GED so um, and also they're also doing soft skills there and also learning uh, and they're uh, putting them in jobs while while they're there and so it's kind of your program but I but my community college is, is running it. But I would love to have my own because I think I could even put more kids in there.
0: Well, you can put more kids in there. And um the the probably the difference is that these these are kids who are used to getting kicked out, either kicked out of the classroom, kicked out of the school. Um, and their mentality a lot of times is well, if I'm just bad enough, they'll kick me out. And so I had to tell them. Sorry, you don't just get kicked out. That doesn't it doesn't work that way. Um, okay, let's let's move and and probably there are other standard things, but let's talk about some of the creative dispositional things that we've done. And I'll start on that. I have something I call the 1980s protocol. I can't wait. <laughs> so, of course, I lived in the 1980s. Um, and in the 1980s, I tell the kids, you know, imagine it's 1980 um, when there were no cell phones there was no internet to speak of um, and there was no Snapchat or TikTok or Instagram. And they're they're just like one kid last week said, oh, that's the dark ages. That would be horrible. Um, And so if I get a kid that social media or internet or the phone is kind of a root of some of their problems then I put them on what I call, you're on the 1980s protocol. If the technology wasn't available in the 1980s, you aren't allowed to use it. And after they get over the shock, and then I explain to the parents who may have, may or may not have been around in the 1980s to know in detail what that means, that they're on the 1980s protocol until either they come back to see me or until a, a certain time frame. But what I have found is when kids come back and I say, how was it? Or sometimes I'll just take away their cell phone. How was it? And they're like, well, that it really wasn't that bad. I kind of liked it. Um and they realize that life can be more than staring at your phone and waiting for someone to like your post. Um and it's such a problem, and we can talk about that another day, probably. Um, but the 1980s protocol is is something, I don't use it on every kid, but when I, when I see that social media, internet is a problem, I do that. I've got some other we, ones, but I'll let you go next.
1: Uh, in response to what you said, um, we have had in the past year, 18 months, a huge, um, you know, talking about the 1980s, we had bomb threats you know, in school and you had to go out to the football field and somebody called the school and say, hey, we're going to put a bomb, whatever. Well, you know, all these kids don't understand that their IP address, that yeah. that the that the government is really running these words through these systems all the time and they're picking up these things and uh, MBI or FBI makes these tags and they don't understand that the IP address, they're coming to your house because that's where you are. But, um, uh, we have had a lot of that and I'll tell you one thing I have found with the phones is I will say something just kind of what you have said and I'll look at the parent and I say, can you enforce that in your home? Yeah. And I, the vast majority of them say they cannot. Really? And so they sign to give me the phone because it is their personal property. It is not the child's property 99% of the time yeah. and they're paying for it. Uh, but... Um, that breaks my heart because I tell them a phone is not a constitutional right to a child. (laughs) That's that's Judge Hannon's famous quote, yeah. Yeah, I say that all the time, but the lack of strong parenting and not being able to give in. But anyway, like I said, that's a whole nother day. We could talk about cell phones. I could talk about it for hours um, and what it's meant in our court. Okay, so this is a great one. So um, I have uh, started that you before you graduate from your probation you have to recite to me in your last pdr your full name and you spell it i know this is so basic but i'm telling you you have to spell and write you have a signature for your name you have to know your date of birth and you have to recite your full address physical and mailing and your social security number because children do not know those things. So we have had the best time. And I want to tell you, they are so nervous. They come in and they're like, and and I have always had them do it. But, um, but you know, the, the parents, a lot of them's like, we are so glad you have done that. <laughs> they need to know just some very basic information. But it's, it was amazing to me when I took the bench that children didn't know their mailing address. They didn't know their address. They knew how to get to their home but they didn't know their house numbers, they didn't know, you know, their P.O. boxes, so um, that is one thing that, um, talk about just kind of out-of-the-box things, but That's it was so a response they, to what I was seeing.
0: Yeah, so another thing that that I did, and this is, I've only done this one once, was uh, I had a kid who had, because we see their grades at disposition, and he, um, he wasn't doing well in history, so I ordered him to watch the John Adams miniseries. I love that miniseries, and it is on HBO, but it's available with YouTube or whatever, and I think maybe one of our counselors had it on um, a DVD, but anyway, I asked the mother.
1: Did they like, ask you,
0: what is a DVD? Yeah, those <laughs> ancient things. I, I asked him a parents, player, too. Yeah, I asked the parents, do you have that capability um and they're like oh yes yes we have that and so you need to watch the this mini series and so he came back and reported and he's like i really like that and like that got him interested in history where and that's kind of just an educational thing you know we history can be so interesting or it can be so boring depending on how it's taught or what you're teaching
1: but you know um, everything it, we're talking about is is ch- every child is different. Yeah. And I I told somebody one time that I feel like um, I am the director. I'm sitting, at, you know, I have all these resources out there. And listen, you and I are blessed because a lot of people do not have these. And we'll talk about that at another time. But you're taking that child and you're seeing that child for what that child is and is not. And you are plugging into that where they go. Um, We have children that are not strong writers, you know, and people are talking about, well, they committed a crime. You're worried about whether they can write or not. We are wanting to make these people better people, not just I don't want you to go out and shoot somebody. (laughs) You know what I mean? We are truly wanting them to want more for themselves. You know, I I tell people sometimes when they don't do what I want to say, if you just wanted this as bad as I wanted it for you. Um, but I think it's important to know in youth court that it's important for us to have room to be creative like this. I want them to tell you, I want you, of course, to tell about your wheel. Uh, your oh, I, <laughs> I, We call it your wheel of fortune wheel here, and I want to tell you that we have made a wall. I have had them move everything, and I am excited because I have got my guy gonna call you to get a picture of this wall to see how this thing actually works, right? But, you know that's that's what we're talking about is things like this. So tell us about that.
0: Okay, well, um, yeah, in disposition we're looking at the whole person, and if if they can't read, if they can't write, their odds of being incarcerated as an adult are dramatically increased. So education is so important. Though I'll get to the wheel, but let me tell one other one. I had a kid that lived out in the country and. Um, anyway, I ordered this kid to plant a garden and to tend it until he could eat something out of it. And once he could eat something out of it, then he could stop. But, and I don't remember, and I, I won't tell the story anyway, but I, that was a disposition alternative, plant a garden that my staff laughed at me afterwards. Like, well, you know, like,
1: but you know what? He needed. You're teaching a responsibility. It he has nothing that. to do with the garden.
0: Yeah, he needed that. Okay, so the wheel. And that's in our drug court. But it's, um, I have a wheel that I bought off of Amazon that you spin the wheel just like the, like on the prices right where they spin the little wheel at the end. And on the wheel has uh, different things like a $5 gift card to McDonald's or um, and we have little tokens that they can cash in for prizes. But it's an incentive wheel. Um, it's basically if you come into court, and I use this with my drug court kids, if you come into court and you you pass your drug test, you've been compliant with everything, then you have an opportunity to spin the wheel. And you get, the wheel has little pie shapes of different things. And we're limited on what those things are. Um, one of them is Rocket Docket, where they come and they get to drug test. And if they pass their drug test, they don't have to come see me and wait in line to see me. They can just leave. And so they, you know, my, my, I love that. my feelings aren't hurt. When we implemented the wheel, and it's not my original idea. I, I got it from a conference and we went to somewhere. But when we instituted the wheel, our compliance rate shot up to miraculous levels. I mean, and I'm not exaggerating. It, I went from having in one group, 80% failing their drug test to after we instituted the wheel. I had kids coming to drug test who weren't even supposed to be there to drug test, but they wanted to come so they could spin the wheel. And so they stopped using drugs to have an opportunity to spin the wheel. And it, we, it seems um, silly, but, it's, but that's just what happened.
1: We have, um, I, I too saw that at the very beginning when I, I took the bench in 2019 um, and we started uh, an incentive program and uh, for DYS, and yeah, and also we have a CPS component to it also, but um, our incentive program very much is based off of gift cards. Um, we have Sunday school classes. We have, I, I can't tell you the people in our community, even restaurants that um, have donated $10 gift cards. Chick-fil-A goes first. These children, they want the same things our kids want. They right. want to go to Chick-fil-A. They want to uh, have a great pair of tennis shoes, you know, and we're starting to expand our um, our incentive program to include higher dollar items. If you are a judge listening to this or you work in a youth court and you have not tapped that potential. Well, and let me say this. Um, ethics,
0: rules, ethics rules kind of put boundaries around what judges can ask for, but your staff can ask. Yeah. Um, And there is a way if you have grant money, they let you purchase incentives. So let's talk about incentives a whole nother day, because I think community resources is a great topic. Yes. How to tap into those, because you have when you don't have a lot of money, you have to be creative on this kind of stuff. All right. Well, we're getting close to the end of our time. We haven't talked about restitution and disposition is when you consider all right, you you tore up somebody's front door and here's the bill restitution for whatever their crime may be. Sometimes it requires restitution. That's something that happens in the disposition hearing. Disposition hearings can be very conversational. And I try to really at that point get the youth to talk tell me, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you, what are your, what do you like to do in your free time? I try to get to know them as a person. If they will communicate and talk, of course they have a right to remain silent still. If they, if they don't want to talk, I don't punish them for that. Um, They have an attorney who stands right there next to them and helps them know it's okay to talk because what they say is not going to get them in more trouble. I'm really trying i'm asking them about their drug use if they if that's an issue you know i'm asking them about their home environment i'm really trying to get to know them even before i read that report i'm trying to just say you know i'd rather get some of that information from them because you gain so much insight if you just can have that conversation um
1: all right any any final thoughts before we log off Yeah, this is uh, one of the first ones we've done of this and um, not really knowing who my audience is, but if it is a, number one, if it is a judge or a youth court, really think about what can touch that child, not just the list of things you normally do because one shoe does not fit every foot here. And our children are no different than the children you know in your church. Our children, I think that sometimes people get, Caught up that it's those kids. It, no, it's not. It's all of our children. Um, sometimes have issues that land them here. No matter if you are um, lots of money, no lots of money, different colors, different races, uh, all different kind of things. And second, if you're listening to this, just because you're interested in the community. Uh, There are ways for you to volunteer for different kind of programs, mentoring, different things. We didn't talk about that really a lot. Um, But these children just want someone to know that they care, that they're doing right. And I tell them I'm the very first one to call you out, but I'm the very first one to praise you. And I think that's important in what we do, not just in the disposition, because the disposition sets you up. And we don't want to set you up to fail, but we want to set you up to succeed. And we want to set you up in this disposition order to push you to be a better person. Because that's really what we're trying to do Right. is just make them better people than when we found them, you know? Right. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And if you have a question or
0: if you'd like to be a guest, have a story to tell, let us know at youthcourtunsealed at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we are adjourned.